Charles Louis Mortgage Advisors, 0161-959-0166. Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman and I really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this podcast, whether you're out jogging, whether you're driving in your car, whether you're at home or wherever it is that you listen to us. And that can be, by the way, anywhere in the world. I'm very well aware of the fact that there are people who listen to us um, doing, going about their business in Australia, in India, in America or in Manchester, so wherever you are, you're very welcome, and thanks very much for listening and being part of the, the Manchester City family. Thanks very much, too, to charleslouis.co.uk, it's uh, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, who are buyers and sellers of property as well, they're based in the Berry area, and they're very good at giving you advice. So whether you want to buy or sell a property in the Berry area, uh, if you've got some advice you'd like to seek on how to get a mortgage, how to manage that, or generally about how to buy and sell, Give them a bell. You heard the number at the beginning. CharlesLouis.co.uk is the website. You can have a look on that website and the numbers on there as well. Give them a call and I'm sure they'll be delighted to speak to you, especially if you mention that you heard about them on the Forever Blue podcast. So City have only played one big game, or what, one game, full stop, since the last time we did one of these podcasts. And that was, of course, was the midweek game against Sporting CF uh, of Lisbon. Uh, and it was a bit of a non-event, but we could talk about that. We could talk about the derby, even though we talked a little bit about it on the last uh, podcast. And I'm not going to talk too much about the Crystal Palace game in this one because we're recording this on Sunday night. The match is on the Monday. Um, so depending on when you listen to this during the week, you don't want to listen to us building up to the, to the Crystal Palace game when it's probably already been played. So we'll, we'll have a bit of a general chat. Uh, the guest on this podcast, my special guest, is an old pal of mine who commentated alongside me when uh, Sergio Aguero scored that goal. I'll never forget that moment with uh, Nigel Glegon, the former City midfielder, stroke winger, stroke goalkeeper. He's been a bit of everything, Nigel, and he's a fantastic fella. And I'd love to have uh, been in your company again, Nigel. So thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. We've also got uh, Tony, who uh, used to be one of the regulars when I did a programme called Blue Tuesday on the BBC, kept in touch, big City fan, and quite a talented man himself, I've got to say. So, Tony, thanks very much for, for being part of uh, this podcast. No and also, uh, one of the regulars, Amy, who, uh, who I could never shake, shake off, so she's always here. Um, she's like a bad smell. No, I'm just joking, Amy. You're very, very welcome on every podcast that you're on, and it's lovely to see you again. Uh, right, let's start by by looking back on on the last week or so. Uh, you can you can talk about the derby, you can talk about the sporting game, but but Nigel, obviously as a as a non regular on the podcast, I'd love to hear your thoughts at where City are at the moment. You know, fantastic, brilliant performance against uh, United, uh, almost faultless, I would suggest. Followed by a game that was carefully managed but sent me to sleep a little bit, if I'm being honest, against Sportings. They didn't want to take any risks. They didn't want to get injured. They didn't want to get booked. Did the job and saw it through. So how, how would you sum up where City are at the moment? Um, I haven't seen them earlier on in the season. As we've, as we've gone through the season, I think City have improved so much that we saw that performance against Manchester United. Um, I watched them against Arsenal earlier on in the season where Arsenal for 20 minutes actually caused a few problems and I've watched them a few times along the way. But um, the, the game against uh, Manchester United was just straight out the top the top draw. It was uh, unbelievable. I said, uh, I, I felt it was like men against boys for most of the time. And um, it, it was, it was, it was, the sort of thing Manchester United used to do with Manchester City many, many years ago and made it, made it very difficult for Manchester City to win a game. Well, this time, it was totally the other way around. And um, City have all the top players, all the special players. However, United fans would argue that they have quite a few. But City seemed to me a little bit more like a team. And um, there's a team ethic there, and you can see that throughout. And uh, one of my... Uh, Proteges is uh, bearing real fruit because I, I said to you, Ian, when I was um, when I when I went to Manchester City that um, Phil Foden was a special player, and um, I did say on the BBC that Phil Foden could be mentioned in years to come in the same breath as the likes of Ronaldo and Messi. He, for me, he is that special. 
and City are very lucky to have him, especially as a City fan himself as well. So he 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 does a lot of stuff. He, he threatens in behind. He, and if you drop, he'll come get it and, and get it short and play on the half turn and then feed people in and get himself in the box. He's just a fantastic player. But even better than him at the moment is Kevin De Bruyne, who I thought was probably the best player in the world on the day. I thought he was excellent. And you can go through the City team, the City squad, and every single position, and you could argue striker might not be one of them, every single position Manchester City have um, excellent, if not special, players to come in and fill in. When you talk about young players um, and Betes, um, you know, playing in the first team from mm-hmm. time to time, James McAtee, Cole Palmer, I know is, is mm-hmm. currently injured, but he's another amazing talent. Uh, Alvarez, the, the young player that will come in in the summer, is only a young player. The rumours of uh, Alfie's Haaland's son coming in, uh, Erling, and he's only 21. You know, the youth of this team is is phenomenal. Um, you've seen some of these young players, as you say, when you were there. Uh, is Foden still, given the list of players that I've just uh, given to you, is he still the player you think will be the best of all of them? Um, I think so. I've seen some of these boys that you're talking about. Um, and I, I like the look of Cole Palmer. Very different type of player to fill. Um, not not so much as as explosive as Phil, um, but a real thinker. Um, plays on half turn, gets it nice positions. Um, lovely with the football at his feet and works hard um, off the ball. James McAtee, I haven't seen that much of, but I've heard a lot about him. Um, if they can catch up to Phil, then albeit to, to Manchester City, if they can catch get somewhere near him or surpass him, then I think Manchester City have got some very special players. Um, and Well, I know they have, so haven't watched them. But when you, when you look at um, the state of Manchester City at the moment, they have very experienced players who are not, not that old. I mean, we, you can talk about um, Raheem, Raheem Sterling. There was, it was mooted early on the season that he was going to be a make-weight for um, Harry Kane. And I remember thinking at the time, and I actually said on radio, I think Raheem's just have, or was having just a bit of a bad season on the back of coming off the Euros um, and having a long sort of tournament there. He he is, for me, I think he's only 27. He's coming into his prime. Yet they were talking about um, selling him on, and I, I just couldn't believe that. It was having a bit of patience with him, and I think the last... 10 games or so, I think he's been back to his best and, 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 and a real threat. So City have class all over the pitch. Diaz, I mean, Stones can't get in the side properly at the moment. And the back end of last season, he had the best partnership going with um, Diaz at the back. I think City receded something like a ridiculous amount of goals, about one in 15 games or something like that with those two at the back. Yet Laporte come in and the pressure is on Laporte to keep Stones out. Now the pressure's on Stones to get back in. And that's how that's how Guardiola works his squad. He makes sure that there's competition all over the place. And if you come in and you keep the person out, you keep them out. It's as simple as that. How much, Nigel, do you believe in fate playing a part, you know, in, in football? Because, you know, you talk about... Um, you know, Raheem Sterling may have gone as a make weight. There was also talk that Bernardo Silva might have la- uh, gone in the yes. summer, and obviously he's been phenomenal. Um, and, you, and and City, it, we can only assume that what we read is true. At one point, we're very interested in Harry Maguire. Um, maybe they weren't prepared to pay the amount that United paid for him, but now we look at what he's been doing at United or perhaps not doing, and I know we're not a United podcast, that's not the object of asking this question, but, you know, you get my point that, you know, they they might have ended up with Harry Maguire, they might have ended up with Bernardo Silva going or Raheem Sterling going, and is there an element of luck in all this, or uh, do do you believe that it's all just brilliant pep? I think there's, there's there's a little bit of both. It's Pep trying to push his squad to get the, the best out of them. But I also think there's a little bit of fate in there. And I I, I honestly don't think um, Harry Maguire would have been um, performing as he is at Manchester United, at Manchester City. I think he's Harry Maguire has gone to Manchester United on a real um, a, a changing time for Manchester United and a difficult time for them. 
coming to City, it was a much more settled um, club, if you like, universal. Um, so I, I'm not sure whether I've, Harry Maguire may well have performed better at Manchester City than he is at Manchester United. Um, I don't think he's a bad player and Pep's very good at making very good players better. So I suppose coming there in a settled club, he might have been very different. Um, I, I'd like to have had Harry Kane um, come anywhere. I think he's an excellent goal scorer, uh, as, as has been proved. And with the chances Manchester City created, he could end up with being the next Clive Allen with 40 goals for Manchester City. You know, Clive got them, obviously, haven't played for City, but he got them for, for Spurs. So um, it, it's it's sometimes fate, sometimes luck, and it's sometimes really good planning. I think to get the fate and the luck, you've got to have good planning. And City do. Well, Tony and, and Amy have been listening to, to what you've been saying. Let's bring in Tony first of all. I mean, um, you can answer that last question if you want, or you can just talk about the the, the general way that City are playing at the moment, Tony. So, um, welcome to the, the podcast, first of all. What do you want to say for yourself? Um, I, I just pick it on what Nigel said there. I think I think he's absolutely correct in the fact that uh, there's a lot of planning going into what we what we're doing, what we've achieved and where we've come from. Um, and I think that's kind of obvious the way we've seen. I think importantly as well is that um, that settled environment that the players are coming into, they're all they're all aware of their roles within the team. So whoever's not playing, who then comes into the team after the few games, they know what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and I think that's really key. Um, what is interesting though, is that um, we talk about players. I mean, there are certain players obviously at City that, that you would, put first on the team sheet but generally uh, Pep seems to pick the games he, he picks a team for the game that he's playing irrespective of whether that player is has played well or not um, or has played outstanding I think that's that's kind of what he does um, so again um, obviously uh, in tomorrow's lineup I mean the defensive side of things probably does pick itself uh, with the injuries of uh, Diaz and, and Ake um, but if if those two weren't injured, you wouldn't be surprised if 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 Stones and Laporte came in, or or Laporte and Ake came in. You know what I mean? Because that's the way that uh, that Pep seems to to do things. He looks at the game that he's playing and he plays the team that he feels um, that that will get a win. I think you make a good point. Um, although he always says Pep in his press conferences that he picks players that are on form. Um, you're, you're suggesting that maybe he, he picks players for certain types of matches. Uh, what will be very interesting, and one little exercise that I might do with you three, is to is to sort of pick the team when it comes to Liverpool, when it comes to Champions League quarterfinal, because you can rotate these players around for a game against Crystal Palace, against Burnley, against Southampton in the FA Cup. But when it comes to the Liverpool game, assuming, of course, that Liverpool have beaten Arsenal and, you know, carry on winning as well and City carry on winning, that could end up being the title decider. And if it is if it is going to be the title decider, you have to pick your strongest team. So while you're thinking about that, let's ask Amy where she's at at the moment in terms of, of where City are and how much of it is, is, is um, you know, giving a confidence. I mean, you know, I, I, Fergie used to say that you know, the team that wins the title is a team that it sort of starts really in January and February. And, and if you look at City's previous runs, they've gone on these fabulous winning runs, just as Liverpool are doing at the moment, to, to then win all the trophies or to, to at least win the league. So this is the time when you make the judgment. And obviously City lost to Tottenham, um, narrowly beat Everton, um, you know, all right, thumped United. But, you know, where, where are City's form at the moment, Amy? You know, it's like first game we seem to lose and then after that we get like this like burst of energy and we're, we're off and then it's fine. But as I say, Liverpool are, are at our heels constantly at the moment and um, surely at one point Liverpool's got to have a bad run, surely. <laughs> um, but I don't want to, obviously like, as you know, I work with children and one of my parents is a big City fan and he's already succumbed the league already. He's, uh, he's already given up. And I just think, really? Like, why? But anyway, so 
I don't know. I think, like like you say, probably Liverpool is going to be the decider and I hate the thought of that having to be the decider. I really do. It makes me feel sick. Yeah, I just think we've, we are doing really, really well, but we've just got to watch what Liverpool are doing because it's our, it's our mistakes to make. We've got to make sure that we win every game like they are doing and, you know, it's ours to lose and we've got to watch what they're doing. There seems to be an assumption by... Not every City fan uh, and not every pundit, but there does seem to be a general assumption that the big game it will be City against Liverpool and that every other game City will win or Liverpool will win. But when I look at Liverpool going to Arsenal on Wednesday, and obviously it depends when you listen to the podcast as to whether that one's been decided. And as I'm sitting here on Sunday evening, I'm even thinking the Palace game is, is not a foregone conclusion. No. Um, Liverpool have also got to play, I think, Everton. Um, they've got to play Manchester United for sure. Um, so you, you think, surely, I mean, you know, some of the other people that have been on the podcast, uh, particularly Harlan, I can think of, and certainly I include myself in this, I still think City are going to win the league. I don't particularly worry about it. Even if they were to slip up against Crystal Palace, I don't think that necessarily is the the end of the world. Um, what what do you say back to the, to the other parent then, Amy, when, when they have this sort of, negative woe is me is it, is it you just said well, to me oh, you're old-fashioned you're, you're typical city from years it was, ago it was quite funny because it wasn't him that said it it was his wife that told me <laughs> <laughs> um because obviously we like they know that I've, i see him at the game like uh, we pass each other at us we we have to pass each other when we're going to the etihad um but yeah uh and she said that he'd already like thingy but i just like I say, you know, you know what I was like. We had this discussion in a few, a few podcasts back, and uh, it was me and Tony that said, "Ask, ask us in April what was going to happen." And I'm still, and I'm still on that. I still like, you know, I'm still, I'm still on that thing. You There's know, only I'll one never... more league game in March, so we're not far away from it, Amy. So I'm going to ask you now. <laughs> <laughs> like hmm. I say, I just think we need to, we need to win every game. We, that's that's all that matters is we we need to win every game and that that that's the be all and end all of it. I don't even think the Liverpool's gonna uh, game's gonna be the decider. Although it'll be built up that way because it's very close now. Do you think that'll be decider, Nigel? No, I think we're coming into the uh, the part of the season that's really the witching hour. Um, lots of strange results turn out when when you're playing bottom of the table sides. You're desperate and often pick up points against top teams, a draw or the odd win where a team might have 80% possession, 30 shots, and the team at the bottom have two shots and one goes in, a deflection or something like that. So it's a strange part of the season uh, from March through to end of March through to May because um, the desperate, and I, I'm not sure whether Liverpool-Manchester City will be the biggest game. I mean, it is a big game, don't get me wrong, but... I'm not sure whether that would be pivotal on who will win the, the, the Premier League. Um, it could end up as a stalemate. We don't know. But City still, I think you've got to remember, mm -hmm. City still have three points um, in the bag. So it's, it, I think we've, City have played so well this season and got results from, from everywhere and, and they've not played so well at times, but still managed to get, get, a point, get the points. And I think then you've got to look at Liverpool and say how well they've done to hang on to the court tails of Manchester City because if it wasn't for Liverpool, this season would have just been a write-off and City could have been on the beach around about uh, December the 25th. So you've got to take your hat off to Liverpool to, to be hanging on there. They're a very good side. Um, so it'll be a great game to watch, I think, because both sides have attacking intent. I don't think either of them sit back and go, let's, let, let's be tactical about this. Both sides will want to win it, and uh, I'm quite looking forward to that game, and it'll be a really good game to watch. But I don't think it's going to be the big one that will um, say, yes, Liverpool win the league, or City. It's which one's prone to slip up against one of the lesser lights, I would say. 
And there is a, a tricky question that I'll be interested to hear what all, all three of you answer this one. I was watching watching a bit of PSG against Bordeaux earlier on. I didn't watch very much of it. Um, and it wasn't played particularly competitively. And, and the fact it was PSG with Neymar and Mbappe and Messi isn't the point, really, of what I'm going to ask. But PSG are cruising that particular league. Bayern Munich are cruising their particular league. I, for one, um, and... This is where the tribalism comes in, and, and maybe Tony's a good one to start on this one. Not because there's any judgment on you, Tony. I don't mean that, <laughs> but you're obviously, you know, a proper well, so's Amy, you know, proper diehard sort of blues. But are you glad that Liverpool are right behind City, making this into an exciting title race, or would you prefer to be in the comfort zone of having a ten-point lead and and just going along, knowing that you were going to? win the league. I, I'll answer that first of all. I much prefer this. And, and even though I don't want Liverpool to win the league, don't want Manchester United to win the league, don't want Chelsea to win the league. Of course I don't. But I do want this absolute rivalry. And I don't want it to just be two teams. I like the fact that it's it's three or four. I hope Arsenal come into the equation next year and maybe Newcastle will in years to come. And I love that. And I love the games. I don't mind losing an odd game because it makes you appreciate the wins more. Mm. So am I out of step here, Tony? Or what, what are your thoughts on this? No, no, exactly. Because I think what, what happens is that, um, I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's no secret that our kind of main ambition this year. I mean, other than obviously he wants to win his domestic trophies and the league is is a priority as far as his uh, pep is concerned. But the Champions League is looming. And obviously we're getting to the stage now where we get, go to the quarterfinal that I think it's really good having this competitive a competitive edge with it, with it being through Liverpool or any other team there that just keeps you on blob, as it were. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all for that as well. Um, and I think it makes a real big difference in terms of keeping everybody fresh and focused. So, yeah, I, I would totally agree with you, Matt. I want I think to think win said... the league, but... <clears throat> yeah, go on, Nigel. I'm just picking up on what Tony mentioned there about um, the league being competitive. And I, I think um, when you look at Paris Saint-Germain, they waltz their league. So when it comes to them games in Europe, they're probably not quite as hardened to the competitiveness that Manchester City are, Liverpool are and whoever else from um, England who were playing in the, in the Champions League, because they have a cakewalk to their title, that's, I think they'll probably play three games a season. Um, I think it's very, very difficult for them then just to step up. To step up. To step up and play some of these really big lights in uh, European football. Bayern Munich do it very well. I think, uh, obviously, the Bundesliga, the German Bundesliga, is um, much more competitive than the, the French one. Um, so... I, I just think, and, and going back to you about winning the league by 10 points, um, ask any City fan that the most exciting um, champ, uh, premiership title out of the five, and I think they'll probably go for the Aguero, last kick of the season. There's nothing more exciting than that. And I mean, we were there, Ian, that the roof was absolutely lifted and it was just such an emotional time. If you win the league by 10 points, it's not quite the same. You just win the league, don't you? So I think I'd rather be one point end of the season, a goal in the 95th or something like that. That'll do. <laughs> I think you, to... Amy? Oh, go on, Tony. Go so on. I was just going to say, added to that, Nigel, as well, obviously, you know, we were beating Manchester United to that title as well, Correct. which I think just, just made it the more... <laughs> so... Well, Manchester United were actually at Sunderland and yes. won 1-0. Um, I and I remember the scenes on the TV with... Um, <laughs> They've jumped around because they thought Manchester City had gone deep into injury time and uh, yeah. or time had on for stoppage, whatever you want to call that. And I remember Phil Jones' face just <laughs> changing when he'd heard Aguero had scored the goal because they were celebrating at Sunderland. So it was actually um, it was it was poetic justice, if you like. It, it, it so, was, and I think the Sunderland fans joined in as well, didn't they? They did the Poznan and they did various other things, didn't they? Once they realised that uh, Man City had beat and won the league as well, so very funny. Yeah. Yes, I think they would have uh, given the Manchester United fans a little bit of stick up there. Not yeah. that we're well, not that we're used to winning any sort of titles anymore. <laughs> but uh, I'll I tell you what, I'd set up a one title by ten points, and that's the league, the league one title would do me right now. Well, I should really at this point, now that you've given me this platform, uh, just remind people of uh, how it was for us on 
9320. We, we talked about it before you and I, Nigel, and I've told people this story many occasions when I go out talking to groups of people when they invite me <laughs> to go and speak. I always finish with this story, but, um, I, I, you know, you tell it from your point of view. I mean, what happened in, the, in that stoppage time of, um, of the 9320 game? Well, I... I could see the, the build-up player and um, the ball was slipped into Aguero and I just thought, take it to the side and hit it. And as, as that was happening, I sort of stood up a little bit on my seat and I lifted a little bit more. And then when he hit that ball, I heard, and it went in the back of the net, I heard you starting your big spiel that he'd waited probably 30-odd years for to, to give. Um, unfortunately, there was no around, nobody around to hug so I just jumped up off the chair and I took all your equipment with me into the stand somewhere and you lost your big moment, I'm afraid. Sorry about that, but that was the excitement of a 90-92-minute goal. There you go. And you know, the way I tell the story is, is pretty much that to begin with. I'm describing the action and I go, Aguero scores the goal at top volume. And then you do this and, and uh, all the wires come out, all the equipment <laughs> falls on the floor. And so whilst everybody like you, and I'm sure you were doing this, we're, we're look, looking for people to hug and jump yeah, exactly. up and down. I, I'm on the floor, literally on my hands and knees, picking the equipment up. <laughs> I'm plugging it all back in cursing you under my breath and uh, and I'm thinking god this is better work this equipment when I put it back together it could be broken here, you know so I put it all back together um as soon as we got connected again it was 45 seconds you're still jumping about and the team is still celebrating on the pitch as soon as I said get me back on air and we go back on air straight away and, uh, and I just tried to carry on as if yeah. we'd not been off now I've listened to what happened on the radio there was about 45 seconds of Jack Dearden and Steve Wyeth, who were the colleagues of mine working that day, filling in for me and explaining what had happened at Sunderland, what had happened at Bolton against Queen's Park Rangers. Um, and I, as soon as I got back on, took, took back over again. And they hadn't actually kicked off, I don't think, at that point. But I am thinking in my head, Nigel Gleghorn has just ruined my Kenneth Wollstonehome moment because <laughs> I thought, you know, you get a bit of an ego when you do these things. And I'm thinking, you know how Kenneth Wollstonehome was remembered for that 1966 World Cup commentary when he said, there's some people come on the pitch, they think it's all over. It is now. And I'm sure that's written on his tombstone, God rest him now, <laughs> Kenneth Wollstonehome. Our great, great joy in, in interviewing him once for a sort of desert island disc of what a gentleman he was and what great stories he had to tell. But before I went to that game, I thought I could have a Kenneth Wilson on moment today. And when all that happened, I thought, Nigel Gleghorn has ruined my, my Kenneth Wilson on moment. <laughs> and uh, when I'm describing it to, to the people listening to me, I exaggerate a little bit and I say, I got home and I felt like putting my hand around Nigel's neck. As I was. <laughs> but we just carried on. And then he got to the final whistle and I launched into the very thing that you're talking about, this thing that it wasn't pre-planned, but it, I had ideas in my head and launched into this big thing. City have won the league for the first time since 19, you know, 68. There's been 44 different managers or whatever the stats were. I can't remember them now. Um, and somebody, thankfully, Della Floyd, one of my colleagues, um, said, why don't you cobble the two together? So right up to the moment the goal went in and then how you celebrated the final whistle and join them together. And there is a version of that that exists, um, but it's a bit of a cheat, really, because <laughs> that, that immediate 45 seconds, thanks to you, there was no commentary. So thanks, Nigel, but at least you give me a You're good welcome. story. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but the closest I ever got to that with Manchester City was when we got promotion and um, we scored in the last five minutes of the season at yeah. Bradford. Yeah. So Trevor Morley scored. And uh, that was a, a a season that Manchester City, that's what we do. We take yeah. it right to the end, right to the edge. We only had to beat Bournemouth 3-0 up at halftime, a 95th <laughs> minute Vic Callow penalty, um, scored by Luther Blissett, takes it to 3-3. Then we've got to go and beat Palace. We draw with them at home. And then it all comes down to the last game of the season. And, uh, well, that's just what we put you through. And we scored with five minutes left of the season after completely annihilating Bradford but um, <laughs> Palace were 5-1 up I think at the time yeah, yeah. Needed, needed yeah it was goal. interesting there, there, was a, there was a game wasn't it where like you say I think there was one team obviously it must have been Palace who were just behind it us was. It um, was. And, and it was a five goal so it meant that a draw was good enough for us doesn't it yeah well a, a fan had come on the pitch yeah um, 
he got over the fence somehow and come on the pitch. And I think it was after about 15 minutes, or maybe it was just after they scored. It was 1-0, I think they scored in about the 20th minute. And the fan came on the pitch and said, you need to sort this out. Palace are 4-0 up. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell, here we go. <laughs> you know, and they, they had right and bright up front, of course, who were uh, formidable at that time. Uh, and uh, we just needed one goal. And I remember we played so well that day under yeah. really immense pressure. And the whole ground was full of blue shirts because they'd only been sold about 3,000 tickets, the blues. But they'd gone and bought all the Bradford tickets. And then all of a sudden, the, the ground was more or less full of Manchester yeah. City fans. And... Uh, it was just a, a really great game to play in because when you're professional and you talk about Aguero and people like that, they're the type of games you want to play in, the ones with mm -hmm. some real edge on, in them. Um, and Mel signed me from Ipswich and uh, I, I had a lack of pace, all of that type of stuff, but I, I made it so that in the last few games, because he could see I was really reliable in what I did, I played the three biggest games of, of the season at Manchester City. That was the last three games of the season. I think it was something like Bournemouth, Palace and Bradford. Mm -hmm. um, having been in and out and substituted many times. Um, so I was desperate to play in those games because they're big games and they're the ones you remember and the ones you want to be in. Yeah, I, I, well, I, would, I would say that. You're, you're right there. But I'd also take you back to Walsall as well. Well, oh, yes. he played a major part as well in that, didn't he? So, <laughs> yeah, but so I, I, I don't that. know. Yeah, I don't know about whether Amy knows that story, but I think that's a really interesting story. If you just want to sort of allude to that, well, it was just uh, Andy Dibble went to kick a ball and burst his groin, and um, as he was lying in agony, I came on over trying to get his gloves off him and take his um, shirt off him. Because I, I said, right, I'm going to go and goal. Mel Merton's not going to substitute me today. I'm going to <laughs> go. So that was my main motive for um, getting his shirt so Mel couldn't take me off again. Because <laughs> every time I scored, I got dropped. And then every time I went and goal, I got dropped. So I thought, I can't win. <laughs> but yeah, I think I did it about three times that season for City, or twice at least, I think. Yeah, and Palace was another one. Yeah, it was. Palace um, was the other one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, which was frightening with Wright and Bright. I have to say, the boys in front were absolutely brilliant. And then Wright. Just to finish off this little section here, what, 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 is that your, what's your highlight then of all the things that you're, you've just told us at City? Is the one thing that stands out that you think, I'll never, you know, that's, that's it. That's my golden moment. <clears throat> Well, it's not, it's not particularly my golden moment. It was our golden moment. And I think that was the goal that was scored against Bradford in the last five minutes of the season because it mattered. Um, all the other stuff that we've done beforehand just built up to that. And I, I think it took 13 seconds. Paul Cooper caught the ball. I think he threw it out to ooh, one, one of the... I think it might be Neely McNabb. And then he played into me. I slipped Moldy in. Moldy flew up, or David White, sorry, flew up. Yeah. He slipped it across to, um, on, on his left foot across to Trevor Morley, who finished in the top sort of top corner and yeah. sliding. And it took about 13 seconds and it involved about five players. But that, that it's, it's not about a personal, it's about that was a, a, a massive moment because we got promoted that day back to the Premier League or, the, or what was then um, the Championship. So that was a special moment. It's not, it's not personal, it is a group because what I found in that changing room was a group of players who would die for each other and the, the bond from the start to finish just grew and grew and grew and Mel made five signings that year and it took a little while. I think we had a really bad start but then we, as we clicked, we started to go and go and go and we played some good stuff that year. We, we had a good side and um, deservedly went up in the end. When you listen to all this, Amy, um, being the youngest member of our squad tonight, <laughs> is there any sense of jealousy or are you just glad that you've got this particular era? Is this era, I mean, it's hard for you to make the comparison between eras, but are you glad it's this era, this era of dominance? Um. Well, obviously, like when Nigel was playing, I was like three, four year old. Oh, Sorry, for that. no offense. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so obviously my my thing that my thing that I remember um growing up obviously the 90s was the Gillingham was Paul wow. Dickoff. Um so that was that was my first you know thing of like mm. of us seeing us win something you know getting back and uh so I'd seen us obviously go down uh to division three um and then come back up um so yeah my thing was the Nicky Weaver um mm. save uh and as he was running around Wembley I was running around my street screaming <laughs> um so me and Nicky Weaver both did a lap <laughs> um <laughs> So yeah, that was my big that was my big major thing that happened like in my my era sort of thing. Um that means Amy though you enjoy enjoy where City are now because you've seen City struggle. There'd be a lot of yeah. people um haven't seen City have a struggle, struggling to um the, the runners up spot in the Premier League. That's how they yeah. see City struggles at the moment. But we remember times where Manchester City and, and when I was there. Um, that didn't have any money at all, and uh, and and I would say that um, Mel Merchant went and spent um, as little as possible to get the five players he did to help them out through through the through that season. So it, it must be lovely for you. And I, I think Ian, you were there, and I remember Trevor Francis coming to um, the Etihad, and he he said, "This is not a football stadium. It's a it's a stadium for athletics and stuff like that. It's got no soul." And after Trevor went. I, I remember saying to you, and we were talking about this online, and it was it was about um, that the place won't have any soul until people have memories. Now, you mm. ask fans if the Etihad has any soul now, I'm sure the um, answer would be very, very different. Yes, it's hard leaving Main Road, definitely. But I would say that every fan now at, at the Etihad would say there's a real soul at the Etihad. The whole experience of, of City has changed, though. I mean, I go back, obviously, being an older fan to the days of Main Road and um, Bernard Holford and Stan Gibson and, mm, and, and lo yeah. lots of different things like that. I mean, the Junior Blues, we used to hold meetings in the, uh, the, the social club, which was next to the ground. And now we're at a, a stage where for a home game against Lisbon uh, this last midweek, you know, there's this fantastic light and laser show, which is like nothing you've ever seen which is, you know, you can't fault it. I mean, it's, it's, it's perfect. It's wizardry. Um, and I go to the theatre a lot. I'm a big theatre person as well. And I see special effects in the theatre and they blow me away and I am impressed. But it's not, in another sense, it's not football. Um, you know, it, it's, it's more than that. I mean, I remember when... Um, the ice hockey was very big in Manchester when it first exploded mm. onto the Manchester scene. The Manchester Storm were huge and they had this cube over the centre. And you, I'd, I'd go along there and there might be as many as 19, I think there were 19,000 at one game against yeah. Sheffield Steelers. And the, and you'd have Arnie coming on, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> on the screen, I'll be back when it'd go into a break. And loads of people were drawn to that. You know, there were 19,000 packed in there. And there was a certain appeal to just going there for the night, for the light show, for the for the whole event. And I'm sure after people has ultimately proved the case because many of them have deserted that sport. And although there's still a Manchester Storm, which plays in Altrincham, mm. it's playing to sort of two or three thousand at most. Um, what what do you what do the three of you think about the you know the way that the off field has changed? I mean, does that does that matter? To, you know, when you went, I assume you were there on, on Wednesday night, Amy. Did you yeah, see that, yeah. that light show? Yeah. So did, did you sit, stand there, sit there, whatever you do in the stadium, being blown away by that and thinking, this is great, this is miles better? Or is there any part of you that hankers after a previous era? Because the trouble with older people like me <laughs> commenting on this even is that it makes me sound like somebody who's old and out of date. So I'm, I'm interested to see what you think. The first, the first time I saw it, I recorded it because I thought, oh, my God, this is, like, amazing. Because like, I think we're trying to bring the atmosphere that they do at other ground, you know, at foreign grounds. I think, like, you know, the in Spain and, and, you know, they have this sort of thing, don't they, and things like that. I think they're trying to do that. And I think it, for the kids as well, I think they're trying to bring a bit, a bit of atmosphere and... Um, 
you know, into the nighttime matches, I think, because I have seen it when I've been on, a, on to a normal Premier League night match, they've done the same thing. And then, like, um, this time round, obviously, I'd seen it. So, yeah, I still was like, wow, it's amazing. But there was two little kids sat next to me who'd not seen it. And they were absolutely mesmerised by all the lights mm -hmm. and the lasers and everything like that. And it's watching <coughs> their faces, like, they've not seen that before. Their little faces were lit up because of thingy. I mean, that poor DJ, I feel so sorry for her. She literally plays when there's nobody there because she either plays at half time or she plays before before the game even starts. So I do feel a bit sorry for her. Um, but like the actual light show, I really like, but I say I go to concerts and stuff. So like I see things like that all the time. But the first time I saw it, I was really, really impressed. I thought it was really good, but it's lovely watching the little kids' faces when they're just like, <gasps> like it's like, watching them at Christmas opening the presents they're just like really really excited and I think that's what City are trying to do they're trying to you know they're trying to make an atmosphere and I think we might be old fans going oh my god this again but when you see one of the little kids faces so excited and I think that's I think that's more 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 of like what we should be thinking of it's more for them than us I, I agree with with that sentiment, although I don't have quite the same sympathy for the DJ because that sort of banal, tuneless music seems completely <laughs> point, pointless to me. Uh, we, we watched a little bit of the Chelsea match today and uh, as they came off after they beat Newcastle, um, and this isn't a comment on the game at all, this is purely when they came off, they played, and obviously as tribal City fans, you'll hate this song anyway because you'll hate anything to do with any other club, but they played there, you know, um, song that they play when uh, when Chelsea finish and yeah. my wife said that's what we should be doing you know that we should be playing the boys in blue when we come off not Oasis you know why why you know and even my lad who's who's younger than you Amy says what is this obsession with Oasis why why is it why why are we defined by Oasis rather than Manchester City is that something that, that, that any of you've gotten a view on good point yeah, thank you. I, I, was I was just going to say, the Oasis, I think, um, probably goes back to the kind of the Manchester scene and they're associated with Manchester City. When we um, were relegated into the old sort of second division, that opening game against Blackpool, if you remember, uh, was was kind of a defining moment in the sense that, you know, we, we, we'd kind of gone somewhere where we were never expected to go. And it was um, the boys, I think, from Oasis had just kind of started coming onto the scene. And the fact that they were Manchester City fans, I think, kind of just uh, typified um, where we were at that stage, that we were looking to grab onto something to sort of take us to, uh, you know, an, another level. So I think that's probably where that kind of starts from um, and their association with Manchester City for me. Um, but like I say, uh, Ian, we do also um, sing the traditional song that, was, that, that I, I hear that we used to always hear at Main Road. Um, you know, which is the song that you just alluded to before uh, as well. So I do hear that as well. And, it, and from, from my point of view, very nostalgic, takes you back to listening to that song, obviously when we were at Main Road, but then obviously we've got another, um, you know, another set of music there coming in, obviously through Oasis. Sorry, right, Nigel. No, it's all right, Tony, thanks. Uh, I, was just, I was just alluding to you, you the, going back to your comments around the laser show, um, being an Old bloke, as you as you mentioned before, Amy. Um, obviously, <laughs> I, I draw my teacher's pension in August, so that does oh, make me don't, old. Yeah, don't there you go. That. But um, I'm sorry. <laughs> my, <laughs> my laser my laser show was when I was at going to football matches. It was um, getting off the train, walking across to Roker Park, a lot over Weymouth Bridge, and the lights flickering on and off because <laughs> the, the council couldn't afford to pay their yeah, bills. The bulb had so, gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was my laser show. But to, to me, the excitement was walking along with all the fans, talking about the game, what might happen, might, what, what might be coming when we play this next game and stuff like that. So that was the exciting part. It wasn't so much this laser show that was going on. It was for, for, for me in my day, it was about the game. And I think sometimes some of the things around the game detract from it. Um, and what they should be going away with is saying, did you see Mares drop his shoulder, come inside and put that in the top corner? Did you see Ford and explode past and play in? 
Did you see De Bruyne hit that raking pass? They shouldn't be going home going, oh, that laser show was brilliant. Because actually it's detracting from the laser show that is actually on the pitch when City are performing. Because they do perform um, so well the majority of the time. The way they play, the way they pass, the way they move, the way they dominate possession and dominate when they're out of possession. That's my laser show. I don't need any special stuff going around. I just like watching footballers play and I like watching elite performers play at any sport. And that's what you're watching at Manchester City. Lucky for you. Is there any danger then that, um, you know, as good as this laser show is and this entertainment is, and, and while City are winning every game, nobody cares really. But if City were to stop being the top dogs and inevitably as much as uh, nobody wants me to say this, there will come a period where we're not going to win every trophy every season. Yeah, so when that... you're on your tails. <laughs> when, that, when, that, when that moment happens, you know, the people sort of, the ones who are drawn by the laser show, who are drawn by, by other things, do they, is there a danger that they drift away? I mean, because one thing that I've, I've always looked at is every year, it's been at Ultra, I think it was at the Etihad this season, actually, but traditionally it's been a game for sport relief or something, or soccer aid, soccer aid, which has been at Old Trafford. And that, that game has no appeal to me whatsoever because it's just a lot of celebrities playing. And and I, I'm not bothered about watching Robbie Williams or some chef running around and waving to the crowd. I, I want to watch football. I want to watch the sort of stuff Nigel's talking about, the great the great passing and the great skills and Mara's trapping a ball, not just some sort of novelty sideshow. It, it, my slight fear, and I'm only putting it out there for debate, is that if the standard on the pitch drops and that's the only thing that left that draws people, that we start attracting the wrong people. You know, they fill Old Trafford every year. And I suppose those people who go to Old Trafford and watch Robbie Williams or Ollie Mers or somebody play football say, well, what's wrong with that? I enjoy it. But I, I, I'm more old fashioned and more traditional and, and, and I want the football to be front and centre to what draws me and what is the game. What, 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 what do you think of that, Amy? I mean, I hold my hands up. I've been to watch Soccer Aid. <laughs> um, but that's, that's because... All, that I'm, shows me, eh? Yeah. No, that's, be that's because... More the, more the thing is because you know how I am about to take that. Robbie is obviously my favourite. So whatever he does, I'm going to support him. Um, I didn't go to this times, but then Robbie's not playing anymore, so I stopped watching. <laughs> um, but... Um, I mean, like, charity football matches. I mean, like, you know, there's one there's being... There's nothing played. wrong, by the way. I'm not, no, I'm not no, no, in any way right. demeaning the actual no, charity. No, no. no, I'm not. No, I'm not, <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's one going to be played at City for the Manchester Arena victims. Um, you know, and, like, it's being played on my birthday. There you go. That's my, that's my thing about it. Um, but, like, people, like, going to these things. I mean, I suppose it's a bit like... It's family orientated things. And I was saying, we were talking about the women's football before. And I was saying about how women's football seems more about families and um, than maybe like the men's team is. And I've seen like on Instagram and Twitter and that, how the girls have gone up to fans and had pictures with them and stuff. And they're a bit more connected with the fans than what maybe what the men are now. Um, probably because you can't get to them like you could probably at main road or whatever or but like they seem to be more connected with the fans and I think the things like with soccer aid and things like that it, it is more about families and it is more about you know maybe you might not be a football fan but you like going because your favorite person's there or I mean I went because of like I say because of Robbie but also because of the football and so that I could wear my city shirt at Old Trafford that was my other thing because um, it's the only time I would wear it <laughs> at Old Trafford. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's just, I think these things like that are set up more for family stuff. And I think that's the thing what's missing is there needs to be more of that connection with 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 the fans more than, like, than there is. And maybe <coughs> if we did start dropping points, the old fans, the older fans, the old fans would come back because... They, that people are nostalgic and that's what that's what they're missing you know and I, but I think that's what the thing is I think they're more for 
they're more for families and they're more for like the kids and stuff. And I think sometimes City miss that. Well, I think I think going back to that, um, many years ago when I was at Manchester City, I was president of uh, one of the supporters branches, and uh, we used to travel out there um, every month for a, a just to sit down and chat with the supporters. I think if my memory serves me right, um, I think Ardwick was mine. Um, so I used to go there and have a chat with the fans um, and just prayed that before I went there, I, I'd had a decent game or wasn't playing, until whichever. <laughs> no, I never, never didn't want to play, I have to say. But um, it, was, it was interesting. At Christmas, we had uh, the pantomime, the Wizard of Frizz, and I, I won an Oscar for playing a tree. So that was about where I was at. But I heard you were a bit wooden in that. Hey. <laughs> but that's the type of thing. <laughs> He's here all week, yeah. But that's the type of thing that Manchester City used to do at the time. Um, they used to get the players out. To, I mean, it's much more difficult for the players now, I have to say, with social media out there and all that type of thing. Um, and, and just, it, it's just more difficult for them now. But I still think there should be some sort of connection with the fans, as you say, or, or, or a better connection rather than just on the pitch. I'm sure the I'm sure the players would like that as well. Yeah, I presume, I mean, I think, since, I presume since you were playing the tree in the pantomime, you've you've branched out a bit since then. Tony, yeah, I've laid some roots. Hey. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, you can leave now. Um, anyway, um, uh, 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 Amy's point about this disconnect, Tony. Um, You're barking but, up the wrong tree. <laughs> oh. which is uh, which is inevitable because if you look at the women's game and yeah I see that as well you know the women uh, players are much more approachable and much more down to earth it's just a simple it's, it's like it's like you know uh, supply and demand really isn't it Let, let's be honest you know that there are only um, a few thousand who go and watch the women uh, there are hundreds of thousands effectively who go and watch the men or consume that more readily so it's inevitable that, that the the men are going to be less accessible and the women are going to be more accessible does that bother you Tony because when you were a young fan uh, you'd have had much more an opportunity to meet somebody like Nigel uh, at a supporters club meeting or wherever and now really you've got no chance of meeting Kevin De Bruyne or any of these these players have you? It's like blowing in the wind, isn't it? I mean, it's it's that sort of thing, really, isn't it? Um, but yeah, um, no, you're right. I mean, I think going back uh, to the day in 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 the day early when Nigel was playing, and obviously going further back than that, um, you did feel a little bit closer to the uh, the players, as it were, then. Um, but I just think it's it's just the way that it's moved on. Um, you know, whether that's you know whether that's that's the money coming into the into the game. Um, you know, we, uh, obviously in the Premier League sort of changed all that, the club. Um, I mean, we only have to look at our club, really. Uh, if you take it back from, from where it was at, at Main Road, as soon as it moved to the Etihad, it became a different animal. Um, and I think that that sort of old uh, nostalgic look back on football as it was kind of disappeared at that point. Um, I, I mean, I do agree with what Nigel said about the fact that it has got sold, the Etihad, but it's different. And I think we have to accept that, that, that we kind of move with the times from that point of view. Um, so, yes, I think it will always be that kind of distant. I don't think we would have, um, I mean, obviously you and I, uh, obviously when we did Blue Tuesday and that, Ian, and this is no disrespect to, to obviously you, 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 the, the current modern day footballers, but I think we once said, you know, what happens when we get to the point when we can't bring the Nigel on there, when we can't bring Gary Owen on there, Peter Barnes, because it's there's nothing that follows. You know, the chances of being able to get at the time, obviously, someone like Aguero or Tevez would be very limited to that, wouldn't we? Um, and that just shows how far they've moved away from, from, from everyday fans, basically. Whilst that's fairly obvious, does it bother you? Does it bother you, or does that not really not matter? And I mean, you maybe it's a hard one for you to answer, Tony, or me to answer, because when we were younger, the opportunity to meet meet a player and have an autograph or something like that might have meant more to us. I mean, it might still mean a lot to you. Me now, as an older fan, you know, if I if I if Kevin De Bruyne walked past me tomorrow. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't have the same effect on me or if he came to support. I'm not saying it wouldn't be nice to chat to him. Absolutely would be nice to chat to him. Um, but I wouldn't be 
quite the same as I was when I was a when I was a boy. So now, no. so the answer, asking you the question of does it matter to you that they're more distant? You might it, that might just be an age thing. It, it, it's one of those things, Owen. I think it's a crossover. I think we're in that middle of knowing what it was like before and knowing what it's like now. Now, gradually, we will become that will become less and less, and that all we will know then is is the time that that Amy's seeing, and therefore didn't sort of you know wasn't able to take anything back from that. But yes, it does. It does take you away from it, and it does make you feel in some ways not part of it. Ultimately, in that sense, being being closer to the players as it were, because you're more. Um, they're film stars now, aren't they? They're not. They're not. Yeah, they exactly. don't feel like it's, the guy yeah. around the corner. They feel like film stars. Yeah. yeah. First, firstly, and I'd like to say thanks very much for men mentioning me in the same sentence as Kevin De Bruyne. Thank you very much. You've, you've just built my self-esteem up so much, I can't say. But we've got to remember that... His Manchester... left leg is not as good as yours, actually. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd have to say I had a decent left leg and a left foot, but the rest of it was useless. But, um, when, we, when we go back to um, the main road days, Tony, I, I remember, I think, I think main road held about um, 45,000 officially. I remember the yeah. games against Bournemouth and the games against the game against um, uh, Crystal Palace, which were massive games at the time to yep. get promotion. Um, I think the official attendances were something like thirty-seven thousand that were given out. Yet at the kit packs, there was about um, there was people on the pitch, nearly on the cinder track. Yeah. There was a line right along there about about three deep. So the place must have had about 55,000 people in, but that's where City have come from. Mm -hmm. Having to have it like that, now they're absolutely huge. They're, yeah. they're huge across the globe, not just huge around Manchester for the Manchester City fans. And I think we've just got to accept that, as you mentioned there, the um, the the... The downside of that is the players aren't as accessible and never will be. That's, it, it, it's a time that's gone, Ian. Sorry, yeah, you're right, Nigel. It's a time that's gone, and 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 we're fortunate, as far as I can see, is that we remember what what went before. If you know what I mean, in order to compare. Now, Amy will probably have to listen to old farts like us to remember <laughs> the kind of time that that yeah. we had, as opposed to knowing what it was like. Because if you if you've never experienced it, it's really difficult to kind of to know, if, if that makes sense. I mean, the happiest I, times I mean, in my life were actually the Junior Blues, hosting the Junior Blues, I've got to yeah. tell you. Yeah. Um, when, when the players came along and, and, and that was brilliant. Go on, Amy. I'm just saying I've been quite lucky, really, that I've met some of my heroes. Um, I, I've met I've met Nicky Weaver. I met him at City Square Live. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be invited to the 125th anniversary party uh, so I got to meet Paul Dickoff, I got to meet Micah Richards, I got to meet Joelyn Lescott. But my main thing, as you know, I got to meet Aguero. But that was through Etihad used to do the Player of the Month award and you got to vote. And mm -hmm. if your name was picked out, you got to hand that award to that player. So I was the lucky girl who got Aguero. Um, but they've stopped doing that now. I mean, I don't know if it's because of COVID or what. I don't know, but they've seen to... because of you, Amy. It might have been. That was, <laughs> might have been. That was the top end of the thing, wasn't it? They didn't have enough then. That was it. Yeah, um, I blame you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it, it probably is COVID, to be fair, that's, uh, that's yeah. could tell a lot of those things. Now, in, in, in what's left of the podcast, um, I did say to you a little bit earlier on that with the Liverpool game coming up and these big games coming up, um, you know, the, the difficulties picking the team. Um, so just to finish off this particular podcast, imagine the Liverpool game is tomorrow. Imagine everybody's fit. Um, have, have you got, I mean, I, I assume we're all going to agree on Edison being in goal. <laughs> yes. Yeah? yeah. So I assume we're all going to agree um, on Diaz being one of the two central defenders. Yes. Yes. Right. Uh, so that so then you, you're probably looking at Cancelo playing in at least one of the fullback roles. Yeah. 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 Him. Left back. Yes. Yeah. Left back. Okay. Yeah. So so um, are you playing Walker at right back? Yes. Yeah. I, I am. 
So that's yeah. unanimous, unanimous as well. So then who's your partner, assuming you've got a back four, who's your partner for Ruben Diaz? Stones. Laporte. I would have picked Laporte as well. Basically, I'd because I've I, I, I basically done that because it gives you a left and right. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of John Stones. I think yeah, right, um, after the trials and tribulations he's had over the last couple of years, um, I think he's come back great. And him and Diaz were excellent. But I just think that balance might help a little bit with uh, <laughs> Salah, etc. That's all. That's on I go, I go with Laporte as well. So then in front of that back four, um, it, it, I assume, but maybe I'm wrong on assuming this, that Rodri plays as a holding midfielder on his own. Is that something you you would all want? Yeah. I'd yeah, have Rodri. Yeah. yeah, so you're all, you're all shaking your head. I'd actually yeah. go with Fernandinho. So the, that's that's my change from, from what you would pick. Um, but then having got that, that back uh, six... Then you've got five more places, and this is where it gets even trickier, I would suggest. Um, five places. So uh, I'm going to assume that Kevin De Bruyne is definitely one of those five. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Bernardo Silva, I would, yeah. uh, me personally think, has to be one of them five. Yeah, energy. That. Yep. Yep. that leaves you with three places. Now you've got Foden, Grealish, Riyad Mahrez, Gabriel Jesus, um, Ilkay Gundogan there's there's at least um, five to go into that three have I forgotten anybody or is anybody else obviously you could include Rodri as another midfielder you uh -huh. um, could have played two instead of just Fernandinho um, who, who, who are the other three then? Foden Foden goes in there yeah, I'd have Foden Mares, and I don't know about Jack I don't know I've gone, I've gone Sterling. Yes, yeah, Sterling. Sterl I put Sterling on the right to handle Robertson and give him problems going back this way rather than just letting him go and attack wherever he, wherever he fancies. I've got Foden at cent uh, false nine, if you like. Yeah. And then I've got um, Grealish and Mares. Um, That's four. You can only have three. I've got. <laughs> yeah. If you just listen me out. <laughs> it would be a, it'd be a tough one between either of those because I'm not sure of their defensive qualities against Trent Alexander-Arnold. Although I think Grealish will give Trent Alexander-Arnold more problems going back the other way. So I'd actually, on this occasion, go for an all-English top three. Uh, um, Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden and Jack Grealish are your and three. Jack Grealish, yeah. Uh, Amy? I don't about Jack. I'd put Mares in there. I just so Mares, Foden, and Sterling. Sterling. What about you, Tony? Yeah, I'd have Sterling up top. I think he's. Um, I think he's the option there for that. And Mares for me, wide, wide left. And who's the other one? Um, it's tricky, really. I'm. Um, I, I, I quite like I quite like I quite like Jesus. I quite like Jesus in there. Okay, well, those are your three. Um, I think I would go for Gundogan, which yeah, none of I you obviously like gone for. Gundogan's one of my three. Amy, you can't go there as well. You'd have to go in the middle. <laughs> this is no, the, but you this, it's not as easy as you think. This is it. Oh, this is no, why I don't feel out on the right or left. Uh, Gundogan to me can drop back team. and help out if, if when we're on the back foot a little bit if needs be adds that little bit of stability and strength in midfield I think I'd pick Mares at the moment because of his goals and because he retains possession really well and this is where I have the, the biggest difficulty um, you know the last player um, and it would probably be <coughs> Raheem Sterling so that means Foden doesn't start for me. And that'll, I mean, who's going to agree with me on Nobody's <coughs> going to agree with me on that. Um, so, Neither will Pep. What this <laughs> definitely proves, though, is how difficult it is. Who'd want to be Pep Guardiola? Eh? And it seems to me, whoever he picks, the system works. And, yeah. he, and th th they'll probably get the result with which, whichever players he goes with. So I'm, I'm asking you, Ian, you're going to leave out in my, what I believe and who I believe and I know I've, I've had um, had Phil when he was at 14, but his development is unbelievable. You're going to leave our...
probably one of the top six footballers in the world out for the biggest game of the season. That's yeah, I, I, I suppose you could, you could say Ilkay Gundogan gets his place. And the reason for that is because in them really big games, I just want that little bit of experience and that little bit more of keeping possession and being stable. And obviously, there's no reason why Gabriel Jesus, Phil Foden, whoever, can't come off the bench you know, make an impact. It's not an 11-man game anymore, is it? But I think I'd want to start my game with stability. And that, to me, is about keeping possession and being strong physically as well as mentally. And I still think Foden's a little bit lightweight. But on that controversial bombshell, <laughs> bo little bit controversial bombshell way of ending the laugh. podcast. <laughs> I want to say it here. I've mentioned that Phil Ford will be getting mentioned like Messi and you're leaving him out and saying he doesn't work hard enough. My God. Oh, right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that he doesn't work hard enough. I still feel he's a little bit lightweight in terms of tackling and things. And that's, another, that's the reason I wouldn't have Grealish in there as well. But I think if I, I expect the game to be played on, uh, you know, it, it played sort of in front of us. And I think that's where Foden is, is better going forward. So that's why I think Foden needs to be in that side for me, because I think we'll be playing it on the front foot. Um, I think what you're doing then, I mean, obviously it's all down to individual choices, but you, you're kind of inviting a little bit more onto you. Whereas I think with Foden, it takes you that, uh, you know, a step further forward for me. So I've, I've just heard from uh, Klopp. He's, he's, he's at church praying that uh, Ian's team is picked and selected without Phil Ford and others. I ain't picking the team. And what I guarantee you is that Pep will get it right. I feel certain that City will beat Liverpool, or certainly not lose to them, and will win the league this year. I have no doubt about that. I'll say that once again. So don't worry about what I think. What I think is just pointless, <laughs> irrelevant, never played the game, never managed. Just watch the game for fun and podcast and vlog and things like that. So thanks very much to Nigel. Um, Thank you. Uh, top man, as always. Thanks very much to Tony, to Amy yeah. and for you for listening. And thanks very much to charleslewy.co.uk for being the sponsors of the podcast, which I'm eternally grateful for. We will be doing the next podcast. Um, we'll be recording it actually on the Monday again because City plays Southampton down at St Mary's on Sunday at three o'clock. I won't get home until, I don't know, midnight or something like that. So I ain't going to be doing a podcast when I get back. So we'll be recording the podcast on the Monday evening. So it'll be a day later than normal. So don't worry about it. If you're a podcaster, subscriber, a downloader, if it's a day late, that's the reason why. Obviously, I'll be doing a match day vlog at Crystal Palace on Monday night. I'll be in a match day vlog down at Southampton as well. Uh, and we will continue to put content up during the international break, which isn't too far away. So thanks very much for listening. And uh, remember one thing, if you remember only one thing from this podcast, it's great to be a blue. <laughs>